0: Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler and welcome to Nonstop Nonprofit. For this episode, I'm excited to sit down with Drew, Director of Marketing for Orphans Promise, a nonprofit working in 65 countries to help at risk children thrive. Drew and his team have done an exceptional job maintaining the confidence of their donors during these unprecedented times. The key ingredient to their success has been donor transparency. Let's dive in to get into the specifics.
1: The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then
0: give it to the people around the world. We set out to raise $1,000 to help this person, um, but we had no idea how to fundraise. Then. You're doing it wrong. Okay. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board. Who is this girl and what's the thought process when you're like, do I include a nickel? And it snowballs like any peer to peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows.
1: The community raised 55 million in 2019.
0: The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Drew, thank you so much for joining us for the Nonstop Nonprofit podcast. I'm really excited to dive in today to talk about all things marketing, fundraising, and specifically, you know, how transparency is kind of tied into all of that. Um, So thank you so much for joining the podcast today.
1: Sure, man. I'm pumped to be here. I've been a big fan since I met you guys, and especially the podcast, listen to all of them. And, uh, It's just an honor to be here and be a part of it. Glad to be a guest.
0: Absolutely. Well, this time uh, you'll be able to listen to yourself. So uh, let's make it good. (laughs) Yeah, for
1: sure. I'm here for that.
0: (laughs) So before we jump into the topic today, uh, tell tell us about, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your story and the organization that you work for.
1: Sure. So I'm the Director of Marketing at Orphan's Promise. Been here just about five years. From my background, though, it kind of ties into the organization. So I'm the oldest of seven kids, five of who are adopted. And my mom's actually the founder of Orphans Promise, Terry Musin. She's the co-host of the 700 Club. And to make a long story short, when we adopted three girls from Ukraine as I was getting ready to head off to college, we began to understand some statistics about orphans around the world. There's about 150 million, give or take, based on the numbers that you're looking at. But only about 1% of those kids are ever going to be adopted. And so... Our question was, what happens to that other 99%, right? Who's going to serve those kids? Who's going to love those kids? Don't they deserve a chance to succeed? And so beginning in Ukraine, we kind of started with education centers that offered them a chance to learn English and computer skills and life skills and relationship skills. And uh, that was about 15 years ago. And that was one project in Ukraine. And today we're in about 68 countries with about 330 projects. And so the growth has been just massive. And the, the cool thing for us is we're kind of a hybrid organization. So in Ukraine in particular, we actually operate a lot of our own projects, whereas in, in other countries, a lot of times we'll go in as a grant giving organization and kind of come alongside somebody who's doing phenomenal work. And we kind of help provide maybe some oversight or some assistance. Uh, we certainly provide financial assistance, but then we don't want to recreate the wheel, right? If, they, if it's a local organization who knows what they're doing, has found a solution that actually serves people and makes a difference we want to just kind of support them and uplift that work. So that's kind of helped us grow quickly because we're able to identify partners who are doing phenomenal work and really just kind of latch on and go, hey, let's do this work together. And so we really work in kind of six key areas, education, nutrition, discipleship. We build strong families, we fight trafficking, and we, we just kind of transform communities through a variety of ways. We can kind of get into that. But those are our six real key areas. And the, the big thing for us is we want to make sure that every kid has the chance to succeed, no matter what. Our, our kind of tagline is at risk to thriving. And so we take kids out of tough situations and give them a chance to get ahead in life and dream about a future just like your your kids or my kids might.
0: Wow. that's I mean, the organization and, and what it's trying to accomplish or what it is accomplishing it sounds amazing. I actually spent some time in Ukraine working at a couple different orphanages uh, when I was in college. And it was, you know, just to the, the kind of mission of those specific orphanages were to help basically rebuild the relationship between the individuals living at the orphanage and their parents, uh, and helping their parents get back to a point where they could, you know, take full custody back of, of their kids. But it was just, it was one of my first international trips, spent the summer, and organizations that are helping vulnerable children, I think, is some of the most important work that can happen. So uh, thank you for for that. And it's amazing. I didn't, I actually did not know that uh, your mother started uh, Orphan's Promise. So uh, when, when was the organization started?
1: Uh, It was about 15 years ago. We just celebrated Uh our 15 year anniversary in uh, December. So, you know, we've, like I said, for the first few years, it was very, very organic. I mean, some kind of grassroots, like people might hear about us and just kind of decide to get on board. And then when I came on board about five years ago, my background is in marketing. And I felt like, you know, we do phenomenal work. We've got phenomenal partners. We need to tell more people about this. And so as we've done that and we've got a tremendous development team, we've been able to really kind of grow that way. And so it's been neat to see, I mean, it. I think kids are kind of an easy sell, right? If you ask people, like kids move people's hearts because they're vulnerable and they can't necessarily defend themselves. But I think it's not just the kids. It's the fact that what we're doing is not just putting a plate in front of a hungry kid. It's we're creating opportunities for that kid to change his future, his community, and potentially his country. I mean, as we send some of these kids to college and they become leaders in their country, literally the face of nations can change if we invest at a young age. And so that's kind of why we exist. It's to really change culture by changing the lives of these kids. Awesome.
0: Well, when you and I first connected, it was it was right before COVID-19 kind of changed the world uh, and, uh, fundraising was, it was a very different landscape, you know, back in, in early February, late February. And so as, as you guys have kind of, we're, you know, a quarter into this pandemic and the world has turned upside down, how have you guys responded to COVID-19 and and how has it impacted your overall fundraising and marketing uh, strategies?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was a big adjustment at first. A lot of what we do particularly at the major donor level is really sort of hands-on face-to-face. We've never been an organization that that kind of makes most of our money off of one big event, but we do have a big annual event typically. But what we do a lot of is face-to-face donor relationship building. We take one to two trips a year to actually visit our projects overseas in places like Ukraine or Africa or Spain or wherever we might be. And we invite our donors to come with us, right? And so that's where You really get to know them, get to kind of live life with them for, you know, 10, 14 days, in some cases, get to really build relationships. And that we actually had three trips on the books for this year, and all three have been canceled. So Mm. instantaneously, that's a huge change, you know? Yeah. And everybody, I think, just like all other nonprofits, we were kind of scrambling to figure out, well, how do we do this? What, what, What does this look like? We already had sort of a a pretty strong monthly recurring foundation of givers, but that was a, you know, they're giving smaller gifts. So it still makes up a smaller portion of our overall giving. These major donors are really kind of our top tier. And so what we really had to do was figure out like, how often do they want to hear from us? What do they want to hear from us? But we knew they wanted to hear from us. There was no question about that. And I think where we were maybe really well positioned for this was because we've spent that face-to-face time in the past, this wasn't someone we didn't know. They weren't faces on a Zoom call that we didn't know, or they didn't know our faces. We really knew them. And so because we'd spent the time to invest early on, when we invited them to a Zoom call or, or even just a one-on-one FaceTime call, they said yes, because they missed the relationship as much as we did. And so I think that's kind of an important thing to think about is your people likely do want to hear from you, whether it be the face of your organization or the development person or the marketing person they're used to talking to for us we've really adjusted to that and done a lot of these zoom calls with our donors and it's been phenomenal i mean the way they they feel connected our, the very first one we did was so cool we kind of finished our little you know 30 minute presentation we had prayed we had talked about our projects shown some photos and videos and at the end we were kind of done and said all right guys great to see everybody and nobody hung up for like seven <laughs> minutes they all were there kind of talking to each other and so finally it was kind of one of those like you know, high school relationships, like I love you more. No, I love you more. You hang up first kind of thing because everybody was sort of going, I don't want to get off the call. I've missed talking to you. I've missed seeing your faces. And so we kind of did a one, two, three, and everybody hung up at one time, but that just kind of let us know how deeply these people want relationship. And when they're investing in your rela- in your organization at that high a level, they need to know that they're not just a number or a name in a CRM. They need to know there's a relationship there so we've kind of worked double time to just make sure that they know that we actually care about them a ton, and we do. We're not faking it. It's it's the truth.
0: So that yeah, I mean that that's super fascinating to me because I mean I've worked a lot with with major donors. Uh, it, that's very rare uh, to see that sort of emotion towards the organization. I see that more with like low dollar fundraisers or, do, or or donors, but at the at the major donor level, typically you see individuals that typically you know tend to be more busy are a little bit more. Uh, protective of their time. And so what have you guys done to actually create that sort of culture where your donors, you know, like you said, uh, want to, are afraid to hang up first.
1: I really think it's, it, it is just investing the time. And then the other thing I would say is be who you are. Like, so I know she's my mother and I'm probably a little bit biased, but <clears> you know, Terry Musson, our founder is about as down to earth a woman as you're going to meet, who's had tremendous success was Miss America, 1973, like host, host of, the, of the 700 club. So she's really well-known, but I can assure you if we were with our donors in person or on a Zoom call, she'd talk to you and pray with you about just about anything. How are your kids? How's your life? This, that, or the other. They feel like they're a part of our family. In sure. fact, when we're together, they talk. It's funny when new donors come into the mix at the major donor level, the current donors talk to them about welcome to the family, right? It's not just us doing that because we've created kind of this family environment. And so I think it's text messages during the week. You know, it's on a random basis, kind of one-on-one. It's these group Zoom calls. It's emails that go out from people, not just from the organization as a whole. It's how do we, how would you talk to a family member if you wanted to stay in touch? And that's really how we've kind of built these relationships. And so I agree with you. I think it maybe is pretty rare, but we're blessed to have some incredible donors, man. I, I, I'm certainly biased again, but I think our donors are among kind of the greatest. I know you've been kind of on like a big recurring donation kick lately, and I'm all for it. And I think it's, it's the key to success but one of the things we've done that's really been awesome is we actually implemented something like that at the major donor level nice. where we ask them to commit to us on a yearly basis, yeah. a certain amount. Now, however they want to break that up is kind of on them, but for us to be able to say, Hey, would you walk with us for three years at least and commit yep. to us a certain amount of money for three years. And so it does a couple of things. It certainly gives us a little bit of peace of mind to know there's some money coming in that we can count on, but for them, it lets them know they're kind of part of something special and they're in this sort of upper tier of donors. And what we do with that group is really treat them a little bit differently even than other people. And and really it's, you're getting a definite touch every month. Maybe we're gonna send you something. Maybe we're gonna you know, give you a, a polo or a t-shirt. Maybe we're gonna send you a, a nice leather bind, binder with our logo on it. And some of that stuff can seem kind of tchotchke, but I think at the same time when it's quality stuff, it lets them know that we really do appreciate them. And the ROI on a $30 polo versus somebody who's giving you $100,000 a year is ridiculous, right? So let's spend a little bit of time, a little bit of money, and really invest in these people who are deeply investing in us. And I think, I mean, we've seen firsthand it's paid off. They do feel like they're part of our family.
0: No, yeah, I I love that. And I think, you know, you're onto something there. It's like a major donor recurring program. Uh, giving you know at high levels annually. That's brilliant, right? It allows you to understand what your runway looks like and and uh, how you can scale and, and grow overall impact. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's really exciting to hear that that's something that you guys have been developing and, and is, is working well. One of the things you shared with me a while back uh, that I was really uh, inspired by was just kind of the transparency you and the team took to your major donors around the kind of uncertainty of how COVID was gonna impact overall fundraising targets. Uh, Can you share what you guys did initially and uh, the response from, from your donors?
1: So, you know, early on, I think we weren't quite sure how to go about it. You don't ever want to come out and just kind of act like the sky is falling, right? And give them a lack of confidence in you as an organization. So we kind of held off the first couple of weeks when COVID first hit and we're just sort of over communicating how we were pivoting as an organization. So we, were, you know, typically we do all these things, education, nutrition, discipleship, and we really shifted our focus to nutrition because that was a huge, you know, barrier for a lot of these families who couldn't put food on the table. But as we did that, and as COVID impacted people of all, you know, financial levels in this country, we began to see like, our giving didn't drop way off, but we were certainly down a little bit. And so, after talking about it as a leadership team, we felt like, you know what, these are our, these are our core people that are going to be on the zoom call. We need to kind of let them know, Hey, we are a little bit down and we don't want to stop serving these kids and these families and these communities. So we're asking you to really stand with us right now, right? We have no intention of, of changing who we are or what we do. And we appreciate more than, you know, the fact that you've stood with us in the past, but I think it, yeah. it was $70,000 at the time. And we really want to make sure that we're able to meet all of our commitments to the kids that we've we've said we're going to help. And so what was really wild, and I think I told you this story too, was one of our donors, this is the kind of quality donor we have, woke up in the middle of the night just burdened for our organization, really wanted to do something. And bear in mind, this is a couple that had given us hundred grand not that long ago, but they just felt like we need to do something about this. So they said, hey, we're going to give you $35,000, but only if you're willing to use it as a matching gift, as a matching challenge. Wow. So keep in mind, we're, we're 75000 shorts short. So they're going to give us half of that. And they don't even know we're $70,000 short. They're going to give us half as long as we match it. So that'll basically instantly fill that gap for us. So we kind of put a campaign together, put it out there to the world through email and social. And within about two days, we'd raised an additional $20,000 in response to this matching challenge. We come to our next Zoom call with these donors and we tell them about it. And within about two minutes, they go, well, I'll, I'll fulfill the rest of it. And I'll give $10,000 on top of that. I'm going to give $5,000 on top of that. And then one of them said, listen, don't ever let yourself get to a place where you're short on money and let, and not tell us. We'll be more upset that you didn't tell us than we will that we find out that you're short on money. And so I think for us, it was an eye opener to be like, hey, these are people who are really, really bought into what we're doing. They've proven that both through behavior, through how they you know, give to us. And so just like you would with your family, we need to be really honest with them about where things stand. We're going to do everything we possibly can to raise money in as many ways as we can through peer to peer, through social, through email, through whatever. But these are folks that really want to be sure we succeed. And they've made investments in our organization over the last 15 years. They don't want to see it go down any more than we do. And so it was important for us to really be that transparent with them, which wasn't easy. It's hard to say, Hey, we're a little bit short this month. Right. But when we did, what we saw was they stepped up to the plate and said, you're not alone in this and we're going to stand with you and actually help you get to where you need to be. So it was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. What I love, you know, there's, there's two ways to approach a shortfall in, in fundraising or a miss in the budget, right? A lot of how a lot of organizations do it. And this is, this is what scares donors away is it's kind of the emergency SOS call out. Like our organization essentially is going to, you know, go under if we don't raise X amount of more dollars, you know, from, from a major donor perspective or from any donor perspective, why would you want to fund a sinking ship, right? And so transparency, like the earlier and more often you can be transparent about potential misses in, in fundraising with your major donors, your, your community of donors that are super loyal and are invested in the long-term sort of mission of the organization. These are the types of donors, uh, the more frequently, uh, the sooner, the better, and it's gonna have a very different reaction like what we saw here with with your donor base. So I think that their approach was right on and it sounds like it even brought your donors, uh, you know, closer together as as a result and more, more glued to the mission of of Orphan's Promise.
1: I think the thing to be mindful of is transparency is always key, but as long as you can show that you're also being super creative and proactive to also come up with some other solutions, because otherwise you say, hey, we're 70,000 short this month, right? But what's to prevent us from being 70,000 short the next month? And at what point do we stop coming to those people and asking? And I think for us, it was, hey, the matching challenge came at a perfect time and we saw how effective it was. So that's something that we might be mindful of in the future and say, even to that group of recurring major donors every year, hey, would you save 5000 of that giving for like a year-end matching campaign? Because we saw it was so successful. You know, whatever you're going to give us, take five of that and just tuck it away for December, maybe. Would you be willing to do that? And I think as long as we're creative and can kind of say to them, hey, we're not just kind of sitting back our, and hoping the money comes in we're continuing to fundraise. We're continuing to do the work. Yeah. And it's easier for them to continue to be on board and support what you're doing.
0: Totally. Yeah. You don't, you don't want them to feel like they're the safety net. You have a, you have a playbook, you have a strategy, and you're essentially reporting back to them how that's, how that's going and if there's a shortfall or not. So I uh, totally agree. It's not, a, it's not going into it blind. You have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy um, to build confidence that this isn't a systemic problem. It's you know, as a result of, of the economy and, and so forth. So speaking of, of that, how is like, the health and economic crisis putting pressure on donor communications? Like, are you finding new ways to communicate with donors? Uh, what are some of the things that you guys have done that have, that have been working well for you?
1: It is certainly the Zoom calls like we've mentioned already. For us, we've sort of changed our email cadence to be a little bit more frequent so that we're sharing regular stories from the field and letting people know. For example, in Ukraine, at one of our transition homes, which is kids who've come out of orphanages and we're kind of preparing them for life, there was a girl who saw there was a massive need for masks in her community. And so she and the girls in the home sat down and we bought some sewing machines and they started making masks for their community. It was a great story to tell our people because this is a girl who came into the training center having had a rough life, having come out of an orphanage. And because of the work you've already supported, it's tra- it's changed her heart. Now she's a servant-hearted gal who really wants to make a difference. But on top of that now, the work we're doing has shifted from the general education stuff and all that to now we're creating masks that are serving that entire community, right? So that's a that's a really cool story to tell. In other cases, we're putting food boxes in families' homes. And that's the kind of thing where we might tell that story like, in a monthly blog or a monthly email. And now it's become a weekly, hey, just want you to know we're still out here, we're still serving. And it's not always an ask in that email necessarily, because I think we don't, the the one thing we don't know, especially at the lower end, because there's so many donors, is how is COVID impacting you personally, right? Like maybe you're someone who has lost a job, who's been furloughed, who whatever, and us asking you all the time may not be the best move for us, right? So I think some of that comes from knowing your donors, knowing your segmentation of your audiences, So we kind of offset like, hey, we're going to tell you a great story and ask you to stand with us. Then we're going to tell you a great story and just let you know, hey, we're praying for you. We're here for you. If there's anything we can do to help you, let us know. And then the next email is going to be, hey, here's another great story. And we're still asking you to stand with us. We've shifted one of our monthly print newsletters that goes out by direct mail to about 20,000 people. And we basically shifted that away from traditionally, it's, it's just one story of one child. And we kind of give you background and how we've helped and all this stuff we've gone with an entire version that's going to be various coronavirus stories from around the world. And so again, I think it's just important for us to be mindful of people are curious what we're doing and it's our job to do a good do a really good job of telling those stories. And I think there's no question people are at home, they're consuming more content now than probably ever before. So why not consume our content? Why not hear the good news about the work we're doing? And then certainly at the major donor level, we've got a tr- like I mentioned a tremendous development staff who's texting once a week and calling and doing their own little smaller, you know, Zoom calls or FaceTimes and that kind of thing. So I think for us, it's just been an issue of, we want you to know we're still here. We've not stopped serving, even though you see things shut down all around you. COVID looks different around the world when you're in 68 countries. It takes a lot of work to figure out what does that look like? But so we just wanted to kind of give people a sense of, Hey, you can still count on us to be making a difference in the world. And we're still the right place to be partnering with. And the best way for us to do that is to tell you about the impact.
0: I'm curious, how has the direct mail piece been performing? Is it a fundraiser? Is it, is it meant to raise funds? Or is is it more of an engagement touchpoint with your donors?
1: We send two packages of the same marketing product out, one to people who are already giving to us monthly, and one to people who are giving us one-time gifts, essentially, with a little bit different messaging in there. So far, it's kind of performing right on par. We tend to get, obviously, more gifts from the people who are giving us one-time than those who are giving us recurring but occasionally the recurring, the messaging is somewhere along the lines of, hey, would you give a special gift, right? If you're already giving okay. us a monthly gift. And so we've seen it, it's performing just about on par as it was before COVID. And I think, okay. again, it's, it's just a testament to the fact that people want to continue making a difference, right? If yeah. they can't afford it, that's a different conversation. If, if their finances have changed, that's a totally different discussion. But if they can, even though they're stuck at home, maybe their job has changed dramatically people still want to make a difference. And they might even know, especially if we do a good job of telling them that for many of these places where we work, times were tough before coronavirus, right? Like maybe it's a kid who's got one parent and that parent's a street vendor and they sell food in a cart and that's been shut down entirely by the by the country. They're not getting any income anymore, right? So now there's almost mm-hmm. even more of an impetus to make a difference than there was even prior to coronavirus. So right. I think it's just a matter of how do we communicate the impact the donor can have And then, I mean, this is what you guys do tremendously position them as the hero, right? Like Johnny's mom is really struggling. Imagine if you couldn't feed your kids, but you can feed Johnny. And you know what I mean? That kind of thing I think is really important for us to really talk about. And so we've seen since that first month where we kind of had a shortfall, we've really sort of seen a rebound in our giving and we're, we're holding pretty steady. And that direct mail piece is, is holding pretty steady as well.
0: Great to hear. Very encouraging. We're, I'm, we're seeing the, the same sort of across, you know, fundraise customer data. We're seeing that same sort of uh, narrative. So it's encouraging to see that humans, despite the, the hardships, you know, they are going through, we are all going through generosity remains to be, I think, a value that people cling to. Um, so that's very encouraging. So there's no secret if you follow Drew on social media that he is a big fundraise fan, a new customer to the fundraise family, uh, and we're which we're very excited about, very excited to help accelerate your peer-to-peer efforts. And so aside, obviously, from fundraise helping you raise more money, how do you see just the, the platform and technology in general helping nonprofits during times like we're in and during normal fundraising seasons as well?
1: Well, you know, I think when we talked about even initially, everybody's having to go digital. If you've not done it before, you were late to the game, but now you don't really have much of a choice if you're going to continue to work and and exist. So, you know, that's really what fundraise in my mind is built around is let's take our events digital, let's do some peer-to-peer fundraising, let's do some live streaming. And I think for a lot of nonprofits, that's a very foreign world. You know, some of the younger ones who who have a younger demographic are maybe a little bit more used to that. But even us, 15 years ago, you know, we've got a little bit older demographics. So trying to talk to people about, hey, can you do a, a peer-to-peer or a matching challenge or something like that is a, it's a new way for us to talk to people. And so even though I've certainly been aware of it for a very long time, it's something that's kind of new that we're implementing. Where I think you guys really are sort of top-notch is the ease of signing up. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really drives people away, especially as you get further up in the age of demographics is, well, what's it going to require of me? But really for with Fundraise, if you know your own first name, last name, email address and why you care about a cause, you're up and running. That's all you really need. And to me, that's a huge thing. So one of the ways we're positioning it with our people is you're literally three clicks away from making a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Like enter your, your first click, like first name, last name, email, click, tell us why, click, boom, you're up and going. And if you want to connect it to Facebook, it's even easier. And so I think that Facebook integration and just how simple it is to get set up is kind of next level. I don't see anybody else really working that way. The second piece is we think a lot about Journeys, email journeys. How are we going to handle people once they've sort of converted? In this case, they become a fundraiser. And the automation you guys have built in, right? Like, okay, so somebody signed up, now they've hit 25% of their goal, 50%, 75%, that stuff, it, it's done for you. All you've got to do is a little bit of the work to design it on the front end. And literally, I mean, you can drag and drop images in if you want to. We use a tool called B Pro to kind of build emails and then drop them in there from an HTML standpoint. But either way, I mean, within minutes, you can have an email going out to tell your people, hey, be encouraged. You're, you're a quarter of the way to your goal. Like, don't stop now. Momentum's picking up. Now's a great time to tell your family about it. Now's a great time to tell your friends. The thank you process is built in. The CRM process is built in. The analytic stuff you guys are coming out with is just ridiculous and so cool. The double the donation stuff. So I think mm-hmm. that there's so many things that it opens to us as a nonprofit that we don't have the personnel or even the funding to hire the personnel for that you guys take care of in one platform that I just think is, is kind of next level. So that's that's at least how we're looking at it from our standpoint is it, it takes us 10 steps ahead of where we have been from a digital fundraising perspective.
0: Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that and very kind endorsement. I, I think one of the things that is so important here is and I've been thinking about this a lot lately is, is we have seen a lot of organizations, you know, make this pivot and transition to digital because they've been forced to do so. And I mean, we've seen customers, you know, who, who have hosted their virtual galas still have actually raised the same, if not more, and their expense side have, have been, you know, hundred percent less for, for doing it. The question I have is, you know, post pandemic, Will nonprofits go back to the old way of fundraising? Will they include a portion of like this new digital strategy or will they double down and continue to really build out, you know, their digital presence? I think that as you continue to grow, I mean, omni-channel is very important, right? Like in-person events, like these, the, the touch points and the interactions you have with your donors, the trips, you know, overseas it's for the donors to actually see the impact for themselves. These things are critical. Uh, but I think and I hope that what this pandemic has done for nonprofit organizations is it's really underscored the necessity of a digital approach to fundraising and engagement. And I'm glad that, you know, Funders has been able to, to help uh, you guys in, in your efforts in that pivot and, and so forth. So very good to hear. Uh, and excited to see your guys success on the platform and excited to see you raise millions through peer-to-peer fundraisers. <laughs> I mean you got the you've got the right donor base. Uh, and actually that's that's another another question I wanted to ask is you guys have tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of donors that are contributing. How from a marketing perspective, how do you build out the right sort of journeys or segments to personalize with that large of a donor file?
1: It's challenging. I would say we're probably we don't have hundreds of thousands. We're probably closer to like the ten thousand donors, and okay. they sort of you know rotate in and out based on who's giving you one time versus who's giving recurring. So I think that's the first thing. If you were gonna, if you didn't have a ton of time or a ton of ability, but you said, hey, we could segment on one thing. It's how do we segment our messaging for people who are already giving to us monthly and people who aren't? I think that's key number one because at least for us, our development staffs can be the ones who handle a lot of the personal interactions with our major donors. So from my side as the director of marketing, kind of like broad appeal. I'm really looking at monthly giving versus not monthly giving. That's my first segment option. And then, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about a little bit is like, how do we suggest that recurring giving in a way that makes sense? And so I think that becomes part of your messaging when people are giving you one-time gifts, like you want to be sure and thank them, make them feel like they're a part of what you're doing a hundred percent, but also be able to paint a picture for them of, Hey, if that was a recurring gift, this is mm-hmm. what that might mean for us. You know what I mean? That's why I think it's so important to segment those two audiences because, the recurring people kind of know, and I think it's even sometimes a challenge with that group to just be sure you're not taking them for granted and you're always staying on top of them yeah. and you're making sure that they're getting love and they're getting appreciation and continuing to be pushed to keep giving because they're getting hit from so many other places. So to me, it's it's less from a segmentation standpoint uh, when you're talking about a, a 20,000 person email list, let's just say about monetary, even in some cases, than it is about what's your giving behavior, monthly sure. versus not. And then you can get into, hey, we can, we're going to send a one-off email to this specific group because we feel like the amount we're trying to raise is perfect for a mid-level donor who's given us 500 bucks a month, but we think has the capacity to do a thousand, right? Got it. Um, or they're maxed at 500, but we know they probably run with people who could also give us 500. So peer-to-peer is a perfect fit for someone like that. Yeah. And so I think it's just a matter of taking some time to look at who is in your, your donor portfolio and then begin to sort of put some strategies together. But again, I would always come back to Monthly versus one time is a great starting place. And then look at within those two segments, you know, what can you do to talk to the right people?
0: Awesome. That's very helpful. And you know that what kind of to ductile into like another sort of topic that I've been fascinated with it's and organization's, you know, like, like, like Orphan's Promise, I'm sure deal with this all the time, but. Uh, as, as a marketing, as a director of marketing, I presume you also have a, a chief development officer or an individual that heads up development. So w- how do you look at the relationship between marketing and fundraising? There's always this this argument of like, is marketing about awareness? Or is it about fundraising in the nonprofit space? So how do you bridge the gap between marketing and fundraising? And how does your organization handle that?
1: Still, even though we've we've grown significantly for 15 years, we're still relatively small, and I think that lends itself to really good relationships. Assuming you got the right personalities, and our development director Beth and I are incredibly close and work incredibly well together, so that probably helps us in this instance. But you know, we kind of have this mantra, and I'm sure you you would probably agree. Like everybody's a fundraiser, right? Everybody's everybody's always fundraising, even if you're not asking. By the way that you are presenting the organization to someone, you're basically setting the tone for an ask later or you're giving them an opportunity to go, yeah, I'd love to support that. So we don't really think of it as, as two totally separate things. We certainly support development efforts with you know, my, my graphic designer sometimes helps with some of their proposals or some of the landing pages they might need or whatever the case may be. We'll certainly be involved in some of the landing page stuff with fundraise, uh, email building and fundraise. So that's kind of one way where we just sort of collaborate. The other thing is, is because we're a relatively small leadership team, there's just four of us and I'm on all the donor trips. And when we're on a donor trip, and it's a development trip, so to speak, everybody's development, right? No matter what your role might be, whatever your job title might be, we're all playing the role of donor cultivation, donor relationship building, donor care. And so I think when you come back here into your day-to-day office life, that just kind of carries over. We all understand that we're all pulling the rope in the same direction. So I know a lot of places there's kind of a fight over that. We certainly spend time and money and effort to use marketing as a branding tool. But at the end of the day, if we can't fund the work we're doing, who cares what we're telling people about it, right? If we can't do more work and make a deeper impact, then the marketing doesn't really matter. So it's all kind of fundraising and development. It's just a matter of how we're positioning that, if it makes
0: sense. Totally. And I I think, you know, that telling the story of the organization, building out the brand has a direct correlation to raising funds. And, you know, marketers' primary responsibility is to support the impact the organization is trying to make. And the best way can do that is by driving engagement, driving people to want to actually, you know, click that donate button or collect that way to get involved and, and volunteer. And so how do you how that story is crafted and the message that's told is is incredibly important. And so I, I agree, I see marketing and development, you know, under the same sort of umbrella with the same sort of responsibility. So Drew, thank you so much. This has been extremely valuable. I love the approach you guys have taken as you've uh, cultivated donors over this, this period of, of time, uh, where there have been a lot of question marks and a lot of like, how much should we reach out to our donors? So thank you for sharing your insight and and the approach you guys have taken. I know that it's going to help a lot of nonprofits, you know, who are still thinking about this and still have lots of questions around, uh, this, this topic.
1: Cool, man. I, I appreciate being here. And I would just say, if I could kind of leave a parting shot for some of the nonprofits that might be listening to this, is don't get paralyzed by overthinking things, right? Uh, especially at a time like this, you don't know how well a Zoom call might work. We weren't sure people would show up because our demographic is a little bit older. We had to handhold and call a couple people and walk them through what that process looks like to get on <laughs> a Zoom call, right? But if they matter to you, do the legwork it takes to make that happen. And once they get there, they're going to hear about the value of your organization. So spend a little bit less time. I mean, certainly strategy is key. I, I'm, a, I'm a strategist at heart, right? But Spend a little less time making sure your strategy is perfect and a little more time making sure you're getting in front of people with your message because the work you do still matters no matter what's happening with COVID, no matter what's happening in the world, even once COVID is is hopefully passed. And so I just think we've seen firsthand our donors want to hear from us probably as much or more than we think they do. And our story matters more now than it ever has. And so I think just major, major, major on the fact that you're making a difference and they're a part of that and you couldn't do without them.
0: Great. That is, that, that is a great parting word. Thank you uh, so much for that. I love, you know, don't overthink, don't paralyze yourself with thinking about the complexities of the thing it is that you're trying to do and instead just work on actually executing and getting it done regardless of what it entails. So. Uh, Drew, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We look forward to continue partnering with you and Orphan's Promise and the rest of uh, the fam.
1: Awesome, man. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Have a good one. All right, you too. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562 Two four two eight one six zero. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.